starting her first business at 20 years old. Carla Nelson gives us input on knowing how you work will allow you to be the most productive. She breaks down her who-do method with us so that we can understand how we work better when we are in our own brilliance. Stay tuned as she goes in-depth about knowing the type of work we do best. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. And today, my guest is the incredibly beautiful and talented Carla Nelson. Welcome to the show, Carla. Oh, Shay, you are so delightful. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, you just made my day. (laughs) Well, good. Good, good, good. And um, I just want to say, you know, thanks for being here. And thanks to uh, James VP Vampiren, who introduced us. Yes, he's absolutely fantastic as well. And he's really great at connecting fantastic people. I mean, he's, he's a true connector and with a genuine heart of uh, wanting to do good and do well. So, yeah, so I, I appreciate you being here and so glad that he connected us. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I love the title of your podcast. So how could I say no? <laughs> oh, well, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and yours is right up there as well. Well, yeah, the people catalyst. So we're just like two sides of the same coin and it's a pretty thin coin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So just so for folks who don't know, uh, Carla is the CEO, TEDx speaker and host of the People Catalyst podcast. She launched her first of many companies at the age of 20. Wow. What an accomplishment. Yeah. But actually, if you go backwards, I used to like buy things wholesale have my dad, I didn't realize it was an entrepreneur in high school, buy things wholesale and then sell them to the kids at school. And then my dad made me pay him back interest. <laughs> oh, oh, funny. I love it. Well, good for dad for instilling the entrepreneurship in you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Carla quickly learned the key to any successful endeavor is to know how to facilitate, facilitate and enable your team. The People Catalyst teach and license their proven methodology and how to be three to eight times more effective. They train the who-do method to 25-plus of the Fortune 100 and thousands of mid-market companies and startups. The who-do method enables 100% buy-in and produces better results with happier people which is what we're about, happier people, right? Yes, yes. Well, it's so sad, Shay, because unfortunately, 70% of people in the States hate their job, Uh, 89% internationally. And that is just a travesty. Look what that will do to your relationships, your finances, your health. Um, And so there's tangible and intangible consequences of people feeling like they're selling their soul, their life, their whatever, their dent on the universe for a paycheck. And so our real focus is to revolutionize the way work is done because it doesn't have to be that way. There is a better way. I love that. I love that. So I always start off with the first question of what does investing in people mean to you? Ooh, that's a great question because there's obviously so many different types of ways, right, to invest in people. And I think the biggest thing is, and I'm going to use the context of work simply because that is the space that we work in. Um, but you could look at investing in people. Number one, it has to do with them. What do they need? It really has to be others focused when you're investing in people. As soon as you make it about yourself, you're no longer investing in someone else. You are trying to 
uh, have the outcome that you want for that individual. Um, and so in the context of work, and the work that we do is we break it down into holding people in their magnificence instead of their smallness. And what I mean by that is it's just like when your kid comes home and they've got all A's and a C. And then what do we focus on? We focus on their weaknesses. We focus mm-hmm. on what they're not good at. We focus right. on everything that, you know, doesn't come easy or naturally to them. And so the way we invest in people is we teach how to flip that on its head. We have a validated study that we go in and identify what part of the work people do and then expect them to do that part of the work. I mean, wow, concept, right, Shay? Mm-hmm. It's just not the way that work has always been done. Right. We would get hired for a position and it was like, hey, that's the job description. That's the way it's going to be. And we didn't have all the technology and the ability to do the little pieces of the work too way back in the day. So right. unfortunately... We approach work in the 21st century with a 19th century work style of it's because this is the job description because I said so. And and it doesn't matter what part of the work that you do well. And, and, you know, we're shifting that a little bit in college. As you can see in the last like 20 years, we do a lot of teamwork Mm -hmm. and we have team focused in doing, you know, papers and projects and But that's only recently. And think about it, Shay, how much our cell phone has changed in 10 years, but how much has the way we do work changed? Why is that? The technology has changed. And so there are four core natures of work. And there's actually five, but I'm not going to talk about the 1% that 100% of the population is made for. And we call them the oneers. And within those four core natures of work, movers, shakers, provers, and makers, there's different part of the work that they do well. And so we give them a process by which they can figure out ideation, what are we going to do, and implementation, how are we going to do that. Mm-hmm. And so really investing into their brilliance and only just like a relay team, you know, the first one that is taking, listening for the gun, and, you know, having to run out a curve and is very different from the one that sprints all the way at the end. It's just different. It's not good, bad, right or wrong, but we're not going to expect everybody to do every single part of the work. And that's how we invest in people that you turn around and invest in the team as well. And so you really get a double whammy because now you're holding that person in their magnificence, but then you're also enabling this team to do miraculous things and solve unsolvable problems. I love that. Great answer. <laughs> Great answer. And I love that you, uh, you said invest in their magnificence and in their brilliance. Mm-hmm. It's true it, because so many times we focus on, you know, what people are, we do it to ourselves for goodness sake, Shay, right? right? It's like, oh, I didn't do that. I, I don't do that well. And, you know, I wish I could manage that. And instead of stepping away and saying, how can I look at this differently, right? How can I um, do the part of the work that I do well and hold myself in its magnificence versus um, in the smallness, Right. Of myself. And so if we do it to ourselves, think about how the team then can bring that back into our everyday work life instead of here's the difference. And and you're in Kansas City, right? Yes. At the moment. Yes. So you will know Kansas City, right? The Chiefs. Yes. I guarantee you when they won the Super Bowl this year that all those guys don't like each other. You don't even have to. You need to respect each other and hold each other in their magnificence. But when they won, because everybody likes to be part of a winning team, they were all giving each other high fives in that locker room. 
but they were able to say, wow, I might not want to have dinner with you on Friday, but I really respect that you're a great tight end. I really respect your ability to run the ball. I really respect your, and, and it's interesting. I forgot the name of the gentleman. Uh, He's friends with one of our co-founders, Alan Fadden. Every year he's won every single year as he's bet on the Super Bowl. Mm. And the, guess what the one category is he bets on with the entire team? Uh, what? I don't know. The team that's most aligned. Oh. He doesn't look at the stats. He doesn't look at any of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, he looks at the team that's most aligned. Wow. Isn't that great? Yes. Yes. So you hit a buzzword for me, aligned. So I'm just curious to know, was there ever a time when you didn't feel aligned? Oh, I definitely. And you know what? We put ourselves back into that situation, I think. So it's almost, and we call it balance. You know, we have all these words for it. And I think balance is kind of a poor word overall, because if you do your work and you love it and it gives you energy, yeah, you're right. You might not be balanced in the fact of you're not spending enough time with your family or not getting enough exercise, but really that off key of when, and you, you don't feel like you're in the zone and then you feel like you're trudging through mud. And I think Shay, there are times when we are doing work that we have to be forced out of alignment so that we can move back into alignment too. And let me give you an example of that. So if I'm going to um, launch a new product and I have, I don't like market research. Okay. It's not my favorite thing. It doesn't mean I have to do all of the work, but as the leader, you do actually have to understand the part of the work that uh, needs to be done. A social media campaign. The worst thing you could do is put me behind a computer and have me clicking buttons. I I like to communicate. I do like to do that part. But have you ever gone to the back of Facebook and looked at a Facebook ad? I just, my eyes just start going crazy. But at the same time, you have to be informed well enough to be able to. And I think sometimes when we do projects that push us out of alignment, we just have to be aware. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I'm out of alignment. I'm not in my zone. I'm not, you know, I'm not humming right now. It's okay because I'm going to get myself back into alignment. I think it's the spiral of when you don't either realize it or that you feel like you're stuck there. Because yes. if, if you know that you're not stuck there, then you can trudge through the mud a little bit and almost to the point where you're working really hard because you want to get out of the mud and right. you want to get back into alignment. I, I, I think that, but at the same time, the more you can work in your core nature and in your strength and in your brilliance, you're just not only are you going to be happier, but you're going to get a lot more done, right? And most people only spend eight to 10% of their day in their brilliance. So, and this is the numbers that comes out to Shay. Wow. So we spend, and I'm using 10, 90, 10. Yeah. We spend 10% of our day, um, in our strengths. But what happens is when you look at the tasks of what people are great at and what they stink at, the level actually ends up being, even though 50% of your time say allotted for, okay, it would take you this amount of time to set up this interview, this amount of time to do your email, whatever they're good at. And then you've got 50% of your day. And we call this your peak work when you're zooming and 50% of your day in your week work, it mm-hmm. ends up being about 90, 10. So even though we hear we spend 10% in our strengths, when you look at it, because we've done this research for 25 years, when you look at it, your day is actually mapped out 50-50. 
but it takes you 10% of your day to do 50% of the task because you're zooming at them. Mm. And then your other 50% were end up jumping on social media or taking the phone call we shouldn't have taken or decided to talk over at the water cooler longer than we probably should have or a little bit longer lunch or all of those things that that and that still goes into that category of 90% of your week work. So what if you could just shift that, right? By I don't know, 80-20 even. Mm. You're actually getting twice as much done just right. shifting your day to doing 10% more of what you're brilliant at. So how do you recommend doing that for um, a team? Well, the first thing is to identify your core nature of work. And you can be a solopreneur and do this. So, I mean, we've got VAs all over the world. We've got colleagues. We've got, you know, your CPA, your, your you know, depending on your vertical, you're going to have a whole bunch of different people that, believe it or not, are already on your team. And I would challenge you, it's somewhere between 10 to 15 without even looking, right, as far as colleagues or other individuals you can work with. Mm-hmm. So first is we have an assessment to identify your core nature of work. So who are you and what are you brilliant at? Because again, a lot of times we do it well, we do it fast. And it's not natural for us to go, I just want to stay in this space because we devalue our brilliance. So the first part is let's assess who we are. The second step is let's assess everybody on our team and say, okay, who is around me? Because often what we find, especially in companies, either you have a whole bunch of early adopters or later adopters. And our assessments based off the law of diffusion of innovations, 110 years of marketing research about how people adopt new ideas, and if you're a doer or a thinker. And so people are different. And what happens is a lot of people, they'll end up hiring people like themselves, or they'll end up having a company that's all early adopters, or they'll have a company that most people are later adopters. And you have to have that balanced team. And so the first thing is, who am I? Who is my team? And what does that team makeup look like? And so then we plot that team out and go, okay, This is who we have. And then after that, it's using the process by which you're figuring out what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And where do you sit in that process? Because either you're going to be the person that comes up with new innovations, see the, and these are the shakers, 35% of the population that, you know, I'll tell you all the negative terms. Unfortunately, explaining the negative terms, we call them, people actually understand what I'm calling, which is a shaker. So 35% of the population, and this is what we call them squirrel, or you got shiny object syndrome, or your head's always in the clouds. And we're working with the Air Force, and they call them the chief idea fairy. Mm. Uh, And so but we call them shakers, they shake things up, right? They're like the, you know, on button on your remote control, they start things. Um, And but they're thinkers. So the challenge is, is that they're in their head. So when they come up with the idea, it's so easy, it's just going to be done, right? So you're there you go, your greatest strength can also become your greatest weakness, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but this is also 35% of the population that needs to understand that they'll say no to any idea that's not their idea. Mm. So there you go. Your strength then become your weakness. If you don't understand that core nature of work and how you see the world and how you see it differently than our next group, which are the movers. These are 15% of the population. Um, this is the only group that says yes to a new idea. And in, and, and movers are really interesting because they're like the fast forward button on your remote control. They like to take all those shakers ideas and go, oh, and then pick the best idea, set of ideas, create a strategic plan. And then they can think about the next five people that you need to talk to in order to get this done. 
And typically with movers, uh, we call them, um, gosh, you're so bossy. Do you always have to be in control? You know, you asked for this done on Monday. I got it done on Friday and you didn't even say thank you. You started talking about what you wanted me to do next. I mean, and I'm a mover, so I can leave dead bodies behind me. And I did early on in my career because I didn't understand that my core nature of work could also work against me if I didn't understand and invest into everybody else in the team. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, but again, they're like your point guard on the basketball team too, because they're, they're the ones that say 15% of the population that will say yes. And we have to say yes to new ideas. It's, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, changing the furniture around because something's not working in the office all the way to the newest technology or the fact that some other competitor is going to eat your breakfast or eat your lunch, or you have to change branding or there's a million things we have to do. But at the end of the day, we have to get our team then working together to adopt this new idea. So then you've got the next, which is the prover. This is 25% of the population. And again, I'll tell you all the negative terms we call them because then people understand, even though we call them the positive term, the prover, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, gosh, you're such a naysayer. Why do you have to be such a Debbie Downer? There's even books about provers, how to deal with Debbie Downer at work. And I'm not talking about the behavioral piece. What I'm talking about is, uh, oh, and we call them Eeyore, and I could think of a whole bunch. Provers get a bad rap out there. Um, but in the context of work, they're the ones who can poke all the holes into it, tell you all the things that are going to go wrong. They actually feel like it is their duty to tell you that uh, everything that's going to go wrong. Um, and instead of embracing that, we squash it. Right. And, and it's like, well, how are you going to get buy in from that person? Twenty five percent of the population is going to say no to a new idea because there's too much wrong with it anyway. So if you don't give them their heyday and poking all the holes into it, then how do you get buy in from them? Because they're sitting there in the back of their mind, probably being quiet because nobody wants to eat or to talk and then going, these yahoos are never going to make this work. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then you've got the maker. This is 25% of the population, and um, they are a later adopter and a doer. And um, this is the person that you go, geez, Brian, you showed up every Wednesday at 9 o'clock for this meeting for a year. You never have a unique idea to say. Uh, how, How do you never have anything to contribute, Brian? How is that even possible? And these are the people that they have real work to do. They're sitting there in the meeting. And the reason they don't contribute is because new ideas and innovation hurts them. So they want to go back to their desk and do, they're just like in their mind thinking, I just got done cleaning this place up the last time you guys made a mess. Um, And so, and that's 25% of the population that will say no to a new idea because it's painful for them. And just thinking of all the details in the quote unquote real work and the mm-hmm. checklist that are going to need to be done. And, and not only that, but later adopters typically don't like chaos. They like order. They want it to be, and they don't mind, which is brilliant about the makers. They don't mind doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And so understanding your core nature of work and then understanding your team around you, um, in your, their core nature of work is exactly how you can figure out where do I plug and play? Where do I plug myself in? And then that also, Shay, brings you back to the alignment piece. So in our team, when one of us is feeling frustrated or out of alignment, I will sit there and say, I had to, ha- I had to do maker work for like 25% of my day. At least I'm aware of it. And that's why I'm frustrated versus being shoved something that I need to do, that I'm frustrated. Now I'm frustrated with my supervisor, my 
colleague, my whatever it is, uh, versus the fact that I just have to realize, and you'll get, love this term because it's a military term, you just got to embrace the sucks sometimes, right? And right. I get it, but the, if it sucks too much, it's going it, to, you, you're never going to get anything done. You're going to be unhappy. Right, right. So your core uh, natures, is it just the four of them that you're calling them or is there a bigger list? Well, the four core natures of work, that is the primary ones. There is okay. a fifth one. And okay. this is called a oneer. Okay. This is one percent of the population that is um, the work is made for this person that can come up with the ideas very easily. Pick the best. They're kind of like your utility infielder, right? They sit on the bench most of the time, but you can plug and play this person because anyway. they do all of them. They don't excel like crazy. Like think of a shaker that's a shiny object, like crazy, right on the scale. That's me, but, by the way. Okay, there we go. Right. And so so they're not going to have your level of brilliance in, in coming up with new innovations and seeing these big pictures, but they can do a good job. They can do it enough that the oneer can sit in the back corner and come up with the ideas, pick the best idea set of ideas, figure out a plan around those, figure out who I need to talk to, poke all the holes, and, and they don't mind even doing the day-to-day mundane stuff. You say that, that makes me tired. I don't know about you, Shay, but when I say that whole thing, I just go, Ugh. well, the wonder is fine with it. So that's the one thing is interesting is a lot of times we'll go into um, an organization and the one person that's excelling at one particular space and they don't understand why nobody else is. Mm-hmm. You find out that they're a wonder. Well, because the entire position is if you can't do all of those things, you're not going to be able and so instead of that why don't we take four people and break up the work i mean who says we can't do that i don't know who made these rules right that it says this is the job description and you can't innovate around what part of the work people do well but unfortunately that is typically what happens a lot of the time definitely is there um so i'm just thinking like carla you are you are brilliant this is your brilliance <laughs> and so did you come up with this? Um, you said another person's name, a founder. So did you guys yep. put this together? Well, there's three of us co-founders, but the original assessment was co-founded. There was another scientist that worked with him um, that they created the original assessment about 30 years ago. Okay. And then what happened was in somewhere around 2012, I started working with a company I was the first client of, and we were building, they were literally my coach, trainer, mentor. I mean, I paid them, but so then they recruited me and they were opening uh, eight offices nationwide and we were building up mid-market companies to sell. So privately held companies Mm -hmm. that needed to understand how to grow what we call enterprise value. And what would happen is we would go into these companies, usually somewhere between, I don't know, 25 and 150 million in annual revenue. So total mid-market. And they might have 75 to 150 employees. And we're coming in there to teach them how to build their company up to sell. Right. And the first thing that you hear when you walk in is everyone going, Yeah, I mean, you could just feel the tension. And even if the leadership tried to keep it quiet, you know how that works, Shay. Something gets out, somebody hears. And a lot of times, 
in privately held companies, the CEO's cousin is the bookkeeper, you know, ants run in inventory. You know, mm-hmm. It's just so close knit. A lot of times they're almost like a family, even if they're not family. Right. And so what would happen is we would go in and it was like pushing parked cars, but I had all of these things that I needed them to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we had such a hard time getting them to do it. So I would search and search and search and search. What what intellectual property can I find to figure out how to get in there and get this team working together uh, prior to then giving them tasks? So it wasn't working going in and saying, hey, you need to do this. Right. And even though you could build trust and rapport, what was happening is people were wondering, am I going to have a job a year from now? They were instead of feeling free to talk out in front of the group, they're walking around the corner and having conversations, you know, how the, all of that stuff goes down. Oh, yeah. And so that's when I found this assessment and then the explanation on those assessments. And then about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, we were able to acquire the intellectual property where the original co-founder of the assessment helped me then over the last seven years, develop the intellectual property of breaking it down to ideation, implementation, getting it done, working with different teams to expand it to be so much more than an assessment. Because what was happening with the assessment, it was like, okay, just like a lot of assessments, right? There's tons of behavioral personality, all different types um, is they would go, oh, I'm a shaker. Do to do. Okay, great. How are you going to get that done? So what we did is we, uh, uh, um, the intellectual property, we just expanded and expanded and expanded on it is what we did. And then we broke it down into that now certifying other trainers in it. Um, because previously it was only large companies, um, that have used the process that had large budgets and that we've been able to change that and get it into the hands of you know, even solopreneurs, we've had the opportunity of working with companies like, you know, Realty World International, um, that, that they're all, you know, um, um, real estate agents, right? And it's funny, because yeah. if you can shift their mind about it, because they're all solopreneurs trying to do 150 things in a day, right. right? But you can use a VA and share, you can leverage your colleague next door, you can ha- have your broker, uh, you know, plug and play based off their core nature of work. And, um, and the other types of customers. We've even worked all the way with startups that have maybe gotten a little bit of uh, money. uh, And then we get referred in by either uh, the investor or them just looking for somebody to go, okay, help me. I want to make sure we get the most and squeeze the most out of this initial capital that we have. And so we've really been able to work with a lot smaller companies, which is is very satisfying because they're extremely more nimble uh, than the federal government and, you know, large companies, because they usually have to have 15 people approve something before you can start uh, working with them. So it's been really awesome. It's been a really cool ride the last couple of years. A wonderful story. Was there a a time before this that you were like, gosh, I really need a team of people. I'm by myself or whatever your circumstance was. Maybe you were... um, an employee at somewhere that you were like, you know, I just think this could go better. Oh yeah. When I like the only time I ever had a job, I always call myself I'm unemployable. Um, <laughs> because I, I, so, okay. I'm going to, uh, so I in college, I, I was in food service, right? So that's the, honestly, a food server is a pretty, if you're good at it, you're extremely entrepreneurial, right? Mm-hmm. I did that part time through college. And then I got recruited by a title company in the Sacramento area And I was pretty much like the office manager at first and then very quickly moved myself into um, an escrow assistant 
And just watching the dynamics of the office and how dysfunctional, how they didn't yeah. have their back. I was like, I cannot. T- and at the time I was 18. I'm like, I don't think I can take direction from, or maybe 19, actually, eight, sometime between that age. I was there for about a year and a half. I'm like, how do I take direction from somebody I can't even respect the fact that, for lack of a better term, it was just cattiness and everybody right. was being so nice to each other's face and they weren't even being real, right? And I'm just mm-hmm. watching the dynamics of it. And I remember sitting up at the uh, the my desk and I was just thinking, I can't, I am not going to, and I would give everything to the customers. I mean, my goodness, they'd call and I knew their voice and I knew, and I just saw all these people just not really caring. I'm like, how can, I don't want them to squash my desire and my love for serving other people and putting my dent on the universe. And I'm like, what could I do? What kind of business? I started thinking literally at work. Yeah. What could I do? And I was like, well, I love entertainment. I could, you know, be a caterer or, you know, uh, 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 event planner or, and I started going through and I'm sitting there, literally the checks for all of the customers, right? Because literally the customers I serve, it was their commission checks that were coming across my desk. And I was looking at the commission checks of the uh, lenders and real estate agents we work for. I was like, oh, I was like 15,000. I was like 20,000. I'm seven. I'm like, I could do that. I've been doing it for a year and a half. So then I went and got my broker's license. And then my first company was in um, residential finance. Wow. And then I quickly moved into commercial uh, finance and business finance because they're kind of hand in hand. A lot of people have the building that their business is in. Mm-hmm. And then in the crash of 2008, we morphed into a consulting firm because so many of our customers had, you know, pieces of real estate and businesses. It, it was like, it was a finance function. They thought they had a real estate function with, you know, 20 short sales, but they didn't. They had a finance function that ultimately would become a real estate function. And so, yeah, I, and that was the last job I ever had. So besides, wow. you know, my boss can be a brat sometimes. No, I'm just checking. <laughs> <laughs> Which is yourself, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but that was definitely an aha moment for me. And I, I just think about all the other people out there that are sitting at their desk, you know, doing their job day in and day out, faithfully trying to put their debt on the universe, trying to figure out what could I do outside of, of this. And the number one thing I can tell you is whatever you end up doing, um, make sure that you build a team because um, one of my favorite people, Ernesto Ceroli, you got to check out his TED talk. He's amazing. He's done enterprise facilitation, economic development all around the world. And he has one of my favorite quotes ever is the death of an entrepreneur is solitude. Mm. That's exactly what we do is we try to do it all. And then we regress into our little corner, Mm -hmm. you know, don't ask for help. And, and then ultimately that's why, unfortunately, you know, 90% of businesses ultimately fail Mm -hmm. because they're trying to do it all on their own. And it doesn't have to be that way. Right. Right. Oh gosh so many nuggets in there. So, so basically it sounded like you were in your young twenties when you decided, no, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. I was 19 and it took awesome. me, uh, it took me a bit cause I didn't get my real estate license. I wanted to control the money coming in uh-huh. too. Otherwise I would have still been under what they call a broker. And so right. I had to do my studying and pass a pretty rigorous exam and all that. So that took me a little bit to do. And uh, as soon as I got my broker's license, though, I it was it was on, I, I opened an office, I, you know, got my furniture, I was up all night long, putting it together, um, quickly hired one or two 
assistance. Um, just, awesome. you know, burn the ships, man. And I never looked back. So that's awesome. So good for you that you were in your twenties and just, you know, really discovered what you were passionate about. I think, um, my audience and, and a lot of people that I know in the world are in their, you know, late thirties or thirties and forties, they've had a career and now they're going even in the military, you know, they've been through yep. the military. Now they're like, Hmm. So I'm transitioning into either from military to civilian life, or they're transitioning from one career to the next. Mm-hmm. And, um, I always get this question as a coach and consultant is, you know, how do I figure out what's next? So great question. Great question. And what advice would you give for them? Yeah. And and here's the good news is welcome. You're normal. And just like us, because even think about the the today's that everybody's having to pivot, right? Right. It's never going to stay the same anymore. The status quo is a fiction of people's imaginations. Um, And even look at like what Uber did to the taxi industry. Did anybody ever think that that was going to happen? I could go on in so many other different um, examples of that. And we always are going to have to re- look at who we are and what we're, what we're doing. And the best thing that you can do is ensure number one, you said it right. You, what you what are you passionate about and what you're and I get this answer all the time when I ask people, Shay, what they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. I, I ever, I swear 90% of the time I want to help people. Right. 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 And, and yes. it's too general, right? We yeah. all know that it's absolutely too general. If we want to help people. Um, but what is that space you want to help them in? Like you, you're passionate yeah. about helping that transition uh, between uh, being in the military and then being a veteran, right? What it, and so what I ask is, what do you want to do specifically to help people? Because that's going to take care of the majority of individuals, regardless if you're developing software to make their lives easy. If you are, you know, um, you know, coaching, consulting, if you are whatever that space is, look at what you're brilliant at. And you might not be able to do that. Take a piece of paper and ask every single person around you. Because a lot of times the things that you learned and that you did really well, and you might actually have forgotten a little bit in the military because they tend to beat the early adopter out of you. Right. Um, Because it's funny, they say... Follow all the processes and procedures. We need to be innovative. It's like, you know, it's <laughs> and doing the work that we have done. And actually, our um, intellectual property will be taught at the Air Command and Staff College for the Air Force uh, this year. So anybody a major and above, in, as far as this leadership position, and you guys are amazing. Veterans are amazing because they understand the value of training. Mm-hmm. So many civilians, you have to beat it into them. It's okay, like, you exactly. know what? We're formally trained. I am formally trained to do the work that I do. Uh, yeah, you've got grit. Yeah, you've mm-hmm. got determination. But write down those things that you're, you're good at that come easy to you. And then figure out what your core nature of work is. And then build a team that you can go to around yourself mm-hmm. uh, that can give you that help and give you that support so that when you do launch, You've got all the pieces in place. You know, Shay, one of, I love SBDC. I think it's great. What, uh, what is it? Small business development centers. Mm-hmm. They're all around the world. Mm-hmm. I love SBA. I, you know, I did 504 and all sorts of SBA loans in the past and they, they fill a great niche. But what I'll tell you is when you go to get help, and you have to write the business plan. You have to do the marketing research. You have to figure out the, the product development. You have to uh, figure out the financial model and do the financial forecasting. You have to figure out the bookkeeping and how you're going to manage those things. You have to figure out like 
are you kidding me? Like I can just list 150 (laughs) things, right? If you try to do them all by yourself, it's in, in the problem is, is it, it robs you of your, your joy and enthusiasm. It sucks the peace and the reason why you started in the first place. And so, yes, and you can get a lot of people to help you, you know, even you just mentioned bunker labs. And I know it's a little bit different in Kansas city than it is in San Francisco here. Um, but seek out that help and figure out what, and then go to those people that have done that thing that you think you want to do. Agreed. I absolutely agree. Talk to someone who's done it and, you know, whether they failed or succeeded, I, you need to know both sides. So like you said, um, Oh, you can learn a lot more from failure too, by the way. You need people to poke holes in your idea too. So I I love that you talk about that in your, um, in your core natures. So, yeah. And we do have a podcast. We have about 150 different podcasts and the ones that we did initially, um, we, went literally 75 of the first hundred podcasts, we're applying the process to mm. a specific problem. Nice. So you, if anybody who wants to educate themselves with it, you know, obviously you can always contact us. We'd be happy to help. But if you are tenacious and you listen to those podcasts about the background, about how to run good meetings, about how to look and how, hold somebody in their brilliance, all of those things is absolutely available to uh, anybody in listening to our previous podcast. Which is awesome segue to how do people connect with you? <laughs> Where's your well, podcast, your, your website, all of that? Yeah, you got it. So the best way to go is just to the people catalyst, and that's plural because we need you all, but not at the same time.com. So the people, C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T-S.com. And right on there, we do have a link to our assessment. It was just revalidated. So you can jump on there, take the assessment, and it'll automatically uh, get sent back to you. Definitely white label us. So if we end up going into your spam, then put us in your uh, white folder because we're always updating new information and new uh, strategies and tactics, regardless if it's creating an irresistible offer and how do you storytell or, uh, you know, if you want to launch a podcast, all sorts of different things around using the core nature of working, building a team. Awesome. And if they want to contact you for that, they can do that on the website as well. Absolutely. Or just ping me on LinkedIn. I've got a half a tribe of people helping me on LinkedIn. It seems like with uh, the COVID stuff and everything's behind the Zoom and LinkedIn, it's amazing how many emails and uh, we will do our best to get back to you as quickly as possible. But definitely, if you want to start with the assessment on the website, get a little bit of background information, figure out how we can help and never hesitate to, to reach out and ask for help. Awesome. Thank you so much for saying that. So um, if you want to get more, no, more information, it is thepeoplecatalystsplural.com. And um, what would be your legacy, Carla? A personal legacy, personal, oh, professional, either one. You got it. So uh, our vision is to revolutionize the way work is done. Mm. Um, we don't want 70% of people in the States and 89% of people internationally hating their job. They spend more time there than they do anywhere else. We spend more time working than with our family. So how would this affect the world, the economy? We could find a better way to work. Mm, I love that. Find a better way to work. Awesome. And which brings me to my last question that I always like to leave with is what phrase, scripture, or mantra are you living by right now? Right now? Well, it's interesting you say that because I was thinking about it this morning about the vision and mission and the best way that we can 
make that to fruition and which is really support movers. Mm. In our core nature of work, if I can find them all, collect them because they will bring everybody else with them. They just naturally, literally, I just built a team and it was all long story of what we're doing. Everybody that heard it, that said yes and raised their hand was a mover. And I was like, you know what? If I just support the movers, give them everything that they need uh, to be able to use this process. It doesn't matter if you're teaching Scrum or any type of agile, if you're using EOS, if you're using total quality management, like it doesn't matter the process you're using, but if I can support those movers and get the, every other coordinator of work uh, around this, then, you know, perhaps then we can really put that dent on the universe of revolutionizing the way work is done. Mm, Beautiful. 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 Well, Carla, thank you so, so much. It's been an honor and pleasure having you. Yeah. Is, thank you so much for having me. This is always great, Shay. You're an uh, excellent, excellent interviewer, too. You asked some really, really great questions. So. Oh, well, good. Like I said in the beginning, before uh, offline, before we jumped on, is it's just a conversation, and we'll see where it goes. So you gave me lots of information to go on. So thank awesome. you. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. And uh, I know we'll be in touch. Yes, definitely. Don't turn this off just yet. Does the thought of collaborating and connecting with a diverse group of creative thought leaders appeal to you? Do you have a compelling story and don't know where to start? Have you ever thought about writing a book and thought about writing the whole book is overwhelming? Well, we are looking for you. We want to connect and collaborate with other podcasters, coaches, and entrepreneurs who want to gain exposure. We are looking for other people who want to co-author a book with us. You can find out more details at firestartersbookproject.com.